Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, wow, you guys are like awake and everything. This is cool. If you're watching online, uh, you can respond too out loud. Good morning. Okay, because, because I just want to make sure that you're engaged and stuff. If you are here this morning, this is a great group. Man, this is awesome. You guys are hearty to get out here this morning. And if you're feeling like it's a little cool in the room, it's not your imagination, and it's not because we did that intentionally. It's because something's going on with the heater. So um, I love it when this happens because I'm comfortable, and I know that you're going to stay awake more likely. So... So this is all good. All right. We are getting into Hosea here this morning. I think it's fair to say that we are more shocked when we hear of someone engaging in prostitution than we are shocked when we hear that someone is worshiping a false god. So another way to say that is is idolatry. I think idolatry... That's, that's not so shocking to us. I mean, it takes forms that are really familiar to us. So it takes a form of a, a workaholic who is chasing success. Someone who is so, they're, they're just obsessed with achievement. And so they're so obsessed that they are sacrificing relationships. They're sacrificing their own health. They're just totally focused on on trying to succeed uh, in in work. Or it can take take the form of a person, a single, who is obsessed with finding a mate. They they are on the hunt. They are on the prowl. Maybe, Maybe you've run into somebody like this at some point in your life where you're, you're in a room that's kind of mixed demographic and you're talking with someone and they're just not there. You know, they're out of the corner of their eye. They're like scoping the room and they're trying to think about who's the next person I'm gonna talk to who hopefully might be that person who's gonna fill this space in me. That's what, that's what they may be looking for is like, I, I've got this loneliness. I've got this empty space. And it's not wrong to, to look for a mate. A mate is a good thing. What's wrong is to try to find a mate that's going to fill a space that was created that only God can fill. That, that's where it becomes idolatry. Or it can look like a, a middle-aged couple who's putting away a nest egg, thinking about their future, and thinking about the fact that at some point they're going to want to or need to retire, and they, they want to do a little traveling, and so they're just they're kind of socking away money, and they're checking on it all the time. They're check, How's the nest? I mean, they're checking on it every day. And when the market is good, they're, they're just like, man, this is good, this is good. And when the market plummets, they're just like, man, what are we going to do? What is our future going to be? They're obsessed with that. Let me just say, it's not wrong 
to save. It's not wrong to plan for our future. In fact, if you attend God Owns It All starting in two weeks from today, for, for seven weeks, I'm giving another little plug there. If you attend that, you're gonna talk about the fact that it is a good idea to save for your future, to plan for your future. The problem is when we, we trust in that nest egg instead of trusting in God to provide. See, those things all seem pretty normal. I mean, those kinds of activities that we're talking about, they seem pretty normal. Prostitution, on the other hand, that, that is pretty shocking. It's, it's uh, repulsive, we might say, uh, at some level. And to the point where when we encounter it in Scripture, many times people try to explain it away. And a case in point would be Rahab. In Joshua chapter 2, you can read about her. Rahab was a prostitute. And um, at, the, at the time when the, the children of Israel were, were done with their wandering in the desert for 40 years, they're ready to move into the promised land, Joshua sent spies to, to scope things out. What are we dealing with here? And so he sent them into this, this town where Rahab had a, a brothel. And so they go into this brothel to stay, which is the perfect cover because in a brothel, I mean, men are always coming and going, right? So they're, they're going in as a cover, and, but they're discovered. And the, the king sends in people after to, to find these guys, these spies, and Rahab covers for them. And, and the guys go away, the spies get to go on their, their mission. And there, there's this beautiful, if you want to read this uh, later in Joshua chapter 2, there's this beautiful statement of faith by Rahab, which no doubt is what lands her in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith, no less, even though she's a prostitute. But her, her statement of faith is to, to these men, I've heard about your God. I've heard about the kinds of things he does. And I want to be on your side. When you come in to take the land, would you remember me, remember my family, and, and kind of pass us by and leave us alone? And, and so, so all of that about Rahab. Here's the thing that's interesting about that. There are people who try to explain away that she's a prostitute. And they, they look at the Hebrew word and they say, well, it can mean innkeeper. And so, yeah, she probably really wasn't a prostitute. The problem with that is that when you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you read it in the Greek, the word that's used there can only mean prostitute. So clearly she was, but people, we, we get uncomfortable with it. We get uncomfortable with this, this whole idea because prostitution is kind of shocking which makes it the perfect analogy to help us understand how distasteful God thinks idolatry is. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. If you would take a Bible and turn to Hosea chapter one. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab one of those on the seat near you. And Hosea one is on page 837. This series we are calling God's Way with the, the Wayward, and we've been laying 
groundwork for it. We're, we're finally getting to Hosea today. You've been thinking, like, I thought we were doing a series on Hosea when we we're going to read Hosea. So, uh, last week we talked about the historical setting, and the thing that I want to highlight from that is that it was a golden age. The, the, the time when Hosea was first bringing his message was a golden age for Israel. Things were going really well. The, the nation was at, at its peak, for pretty much its peak in its, in its history. However, the king, King Jeroboam II, was, was evil, and he was influencing naturally, the people that he, he led. And so that was the setting that Hosea is bringing his message to. So we may not do this every week as we study Hosea, but today we're going to read all of chapter one, because I want you to see here, I want us all to see the, the living sermon that's happening here, the, the living object lessons that we're going to see in the course of, of Hosea and his, his family, his, his wife and his, his children. So it all starts with God giving a shocking assignment to Hosea in verse two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great Whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Right? What's what stands out to you about that verse? I mean, that's this is why I didn't use the, the word whore. I'm using the word prostitution because I think that's a little less shocking, but I mean, this is just in your face. Whoredom. And actually, it's in in our face to the point, even beyond what we're seeing in the English, it actually shows up four times. For, for us in the English, we see three times a wife of whoredom, children of whoredom, for the land commits whoredom. It actually shows up four times in the Hebrew, uh, the word. And I, I have to highlight this. This is kind of a little geek moment for me because I just, I love this idiom in the Hebrew. It, the third time it shows up, it's a verb. The land commits great whoredom. And what's happening there in the, in the Hebrew is that there's, there are two forms of the same verb. So basically it says, whoring, they commit whoredom to reinforce what's happening. And that's why it says in English, commits great whoredom. Anyway, just want to highlight that for you. If we were reading it, so if we were reading it in Hebrew, first of all, we wouldn't understand it. But if we could understand it, it would just be pounding in, in our face this whole idea of whoredom. And God is very clear to explain the living object lesson that he wants to get across. He says, for the land, he says, he says, Hosea, I want you to take a wife of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom, how? By forsaking the Lord, by engaging in idolatry. God is saying, Hosea, I want you to do something really shocking because I want you to shake people up to realize that their idolatry is shocking to me. This command is so shocking that some people, again, just can't, they can't believe that this is actually what would have gone on. And they say, well, it must be an allegory. It must just be, this is kind of a story 
but it didn't really happen. Uh, but I guess I would counter that by saying, first of all, it ignores the plain meaning of the words here. And this, this living illustration is going to go on for three chapters in Hosea, which is interesting. Let me, just, let me just say this to you, especially if you're a parent who is sending one of your kids out, which I totally support. Um, that I, I thought before I really studied Hosea, I just figured the whole book was about Gomer and, and Hosea marrying a wife of prostitutes. It's, it's not. The first three chapters are this whole living illustration. And then we really spend time on what's happening with the nation. So just so you know that, we're not going to be talking about this for the next however many, many months. But the, the idea of, a, of an allegory ignores the plain meaning of the words, and it just it weakens the impact of, of the message that God is sending here. I mean, Israel has been prostituting herself from the very beginning. This is nothing new. So if we went all the way back to Sinai, when God is giving the law, so that was at the beginning of the wandering. We talked about Rahab at the end of the wandering in, in the desert and getting ready to go into the promised land. Sinai happened, God's giving of the law happened right after he brought them out of Egypt. And so as Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law from God, the, the people are down there worshiping. They're, they're like, hey, we don't know what happened to Moses. Um, why don't you, Aaron, make us a god? And so they, they're all giving their jewelry and he melts it down and he shapes it into an idol. And so they're doing this from the, this is a terrible start. I mean, this is a terrible start for, for a nation. But God persisted in, in his covenant even while Israel persisted in her idolatry. So I don't think it should surprise us that God would want a living object lesson and call Hosea to, to go take for yourself a wife of, of whoredom. See, some, sometimes words are not enough. See, God wanted an emotional impact to shock people out of their ignorance and their apathy because, because again, idolatry can be, and worshiping a false god can just be so natural. It can just be, it can seem so normal. And God wanted to shake people out of their ignorance and their apathy. And so the object lesson of Hosea 1 is shocking on purpose because God wants to say, as repulsive as prostitution is to you, that's how repulsive idolatry is to me. So this is the call to Hosea. Go take a wife of whoredom. Let's see what he does. Verse 3. So he went and took Gomer. So he went. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Let's pause there for, before we go on because I'm thinking this, uh, uh, I'm thinking if God gave that command to me, I'm not sure I would be so quick to go. I'm thinking I'd be like, God, you know, what, what you're talking about, Willis? Like, are you, did I hear you, you right, really? Um, but he, but Hosea just goes. 
and he obeys this shocking request. He took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and she bore him a son. So now there's a son and there will be two other children who are part of this living object lesson as well. But let's focus on the son first. Verse four, the Lord said to Hosea, call his name, call your son's name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Remember now, this is, This is who Hosea is talking to. I'm going to put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. All right, let's talk about Jezreel for a moment. Um, Probably most of us aren't real familiar with that. I certainly wasn't. There's two layers to this name, Jezreel. First, First of all, it's a place name. And so it's the site of of major bloodshed by an earlier king, Jehu. So Jehu came 50 years prior to Hosea. And Jehu was actually called by God to purge the line of Ahab. Evil, evil king. If any of you have read much of the the books of Kings, you would, you would know who Ahab is and how evil he was. So, so God said, I, I want his line purged. We, we need to not have this kind of evil going on anymore. So Jehu did that, but he went far, far beyond what God asked him to do. And he committed basically a massacre you can read about in 2 Kings 9 and, and 10. And so God is saying here about Jezreel, there is judgment coming because there is because the bloodthirst that Jehu demonstrated um, was, was never broken in the successive kings. So, so that's, that's one piece of what Jezreel is talking about, the valley of Jezreel. Secondly, the, the word itself, Jezreel, means scatter. And so part of the living object lesson of this son is to remind Israel what God is about to do because he's going to scatter them. He's going to end the, the kingdom. And so, and then 50 years after Hosea, Assyria is going to come and invade and take the people into exile. And that scattering will come to pass. That's the first child. Wow. Okay. Second child Verse six, she, Gomer, conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name, no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. No mercy. Before that, notice um, that it says Gomer conceived again. There's a difference between how that is captured in verse six and back in verse three, when the son is born. When the son is born, it says she conceived and bore him, bore Hosea a son. So notice in verse six, she conceived again and bore a daughter, but Hosea is not mentioned. And so it's very likely that probably what's happened here is Hosea married a woman who already was a prostitute, 
And then they had this first child together, and then she went back to her prostitution, conceived again in verse six. So there's a question whether the second child and the third child even belong to Hosea. But she conceived again, bore a daughter, and the Lord said to Hosea, now call her name No Mercy. No Mercy. So in Hebrew, it's Lo Ruhama. So Jezreel is kind of an unusual name, but No Mercy is just downright, I mean, that's like sad. Like how would you like to carry that name around? I think about uh, Pastor Jeremy's, daughter named Mercy. I think, well, that's, that's a beautiful name for someone. And as Pastor Jeremy will, will tell you, I mean, she's modeling that. She's, she's demonstrating living into that name. She's just a delightful little girl. So the, the op, this is like the opposite of, of that. And I just want to say, closed circuit to my kids, if you're, if you're listening somewhere. You know, I know my kids have been in many, many sermon illustrations down through the years, but I didn't name you stuff like this. All right, so just <laughs> count your blessings, and um, yeah, anyway. So God, so no mercy. He says, name this second child, no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. God has put up with a lot of evil over a lot of years, And this is a dramatic illustration that he has done being patient and showing mercy to Israel. Sometimes words are not enough. And so he has them, he has Hosea name his child this. In contrast to no mercy, God will have mercy and show mercy to the southern kingdom of Judah. If you were, if you missed last week, the, the people of, of Israel were divided um, after King Solomon into a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And so verse 7 speaks to the southern kingdom of Judah. God says, I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. I will save them by the Lord their God. This is probably referring to a confrontation where Assyria threatened Judah, and you can read about that in 2 Kings 19. King, at that, in, in that incident, King Hezekiah did not take matters into his own hands. He did not try to, to fight his way out. He did not try to hire another nation's army to come and and help them. He went straight to the Lord and asked for the Lord's deliverance. And the Lord miraculously delivered him. You can read about it again, 2 Kings 19. Unfortunately, the kings of Israel do not come to God for deliverance. And so God says, no mercy. Your, Your time is up. There's a third child in verse 8. When Gomer had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. I think these names kind of get um, progressively more 
intense. The last name is Lo Ami, not my people. Um, if you have ever had a parent or a loved one say, you're mine. You, you belong to me. I love you. You belong in this family. You, you know then how life-giving it is to, to feel a sense of belonging. And in contrast here, God is saying, you've, you've turned your back on me, and now I'm turning my back on you. If you have not ever experienced that sense of belonging in life, then no doubt you have experienced rejection. Maybe you've experienced rejection from a parent. Maybe you've experienced rejection from a school that you applied to, tried to get into. Some of you have experienced rejection from a spouse. And, and sometimes when rejection happens, it is, it is actually our fault. <laughs> like we've done something, we've, we've blown it in some way. Maybe not prostitution, or maybe prostitution. It's not out of the question that somebody who's listening has, has engaged in that. Maybe you've engaged in something that you feel is equally shameful to you as prostitution. The, the, the reality is whatever sin we engage in, sin separates. Sin separates us. It separates us from God. It causes him to say, you're, you're not my people. If you've ever imagined God's voice saying to you, you've gone too far. That, that's it. We're done. That's what he says right here to his people. So, so the judgment is piling up. God says, I'm going to be scattering my people. I have no mercy for you anymore, and you no longer belong to me. And just at the moment when we start to think that the mistakes of our past ruin our chances for our future, God surprises us again. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Wow. It's like God is just bringing judgment declaring judgment, and then he can't help himself. He has to go jump and talk about the mercy. There's so much in this verse that we don't have time for. We can do a whole message on this verse. But it looks to the past, and it looks to the future. God here in this verse is keeping a past promise when he says that the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. He's recalling a promise that he made to, to Abraham in Genesis 22, right after Abraham demonstrates the amazing faith of being obedient to God, to taking his son Isaac. And God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And God provides a sacrifice in place of, of Isaac. But right after all of that, God says, 
to Abraham in Genesis 22. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. So in Hosea 1.10, God says, even though Israel is so unfaithful, And in spite of all the judgment that is coming, still they will be multiplied like the sand of the sea. So Hosea 1.10 looks to the past, but it also looks to the future as seen in none other than Romans. Romans chapter 9. You thought you were going to be done with Romans. We're never going to be done with Romans. Romans 9 quotes Hosea 1.10. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. God will rescue and save people from every nation including us. So this is, this is a clear reversal of rejection. We go from not my people to acceptance, to being children of the living God. And then one more verse in the chapter, verse 11. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So there's a stigma, there's a shame about Jezreel and the bloodshed there that's gonna be turned around. Great will be the day of Jezreel. This, This is all about redemption all about turnarounds. And speaking of redemption, prostitution itself is not the unforgivable sin. If you you aren't sure about that, just search on Tamar and Rahab. And you will find both of these ladies who engaged in prostitution showing up in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter one. If God wanted to keep prostitution under the rug, I mean, if he wanted to hide it from us, he could, but he doesn't. It's, it's prominent in Matthew chapter one saying, these are, he just could have left that out, but he wants us to know that he's a God of redemption. He wants us to know that he redeems prostitutes like Tamar, like Rahab, like Gomer, like Israel, like us. Sometimes words are not enough. It was not enough for Hosea's message. And so God said, I want you to live this out. It was not enough for for Jesus because the word became flesh. 
And by the way, interesting note about the name Hosea. In Hebrew, the, the root of Hosea is the same root for Yeshua, the Hebrew form for Jesus. And, and the word means salvation. Jesus came to give us the ultimate living sermon, to, to take us from not my people because sin separates. Our, our sin separates us from God and makes us not his people. But Jesus came to pay the penalty so that our sins could be washed away, so that we could be made children of the living God. If you have not experienced that yet today, if you, not, if you have not experienced coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to take you from being not belonging to God to being a child of God, then please make today your day. We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to have an opportunity after that. You can pray during the song, or you can come up afterwards. Our prayer team will be here, and we would love the opportunity to, to pray with you and help you understand how to move from being rejected by God to his full acceptance because of, of Jesus. The other, the other way we can become part of God's living illustration is for you and I to live out in such a way that connection to God that the people around us recognize it and say, we want it too. So sometimes words are not enough. Sometimes we, we live it out and we add our words to it as well to help people find relationship with Christ. Let's pray to him. Father, thank you for this beautiful story of brokenness and waywardness and how, Lord, you step into that and you, you consistently still redeem and keep your promises and keep your, your covenant Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for Jesus coming to live out the, the ultimate object lesson to, to give his life so that uh, our, our sins can be washed away. Lord, I pray for the person who is listening today who, who feels very much in the camp of I'm, I'm not part of God's people because I've done too much. There's too much shame. Lord, you, you redeemed someone like Rahab. You redeemed um, a nation from their sin. You, you can redeem us, and I pray that you would minister that truth to their heart today and help all of us live out the, the living object lesson of redemption that you are doing in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.